This is Linux Unplugged, episode 37, for April 22nd, 2014. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that its brain knows client-side decorations are a bad idea, but its heart can't help but love them. My name is Chris. My name is Matt. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Doing good. pretty good. Good. I got a little crud, so I think I might have gotten you sick on Sunday during last. So. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm double down. Yeah, double down on like any rituals you have. Do you have like rituals that you follow when you think you're getting sick? Theraflu. Yeah. That's the number one thing, because at the end of the day, everything else is a crapshoot. Theraflu makes me don't care. And fluid. Uh, you know. get, get your fluid. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, so this week, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about a few topics. So we've got some 1404 review follow-up I want to cover. Uh, and then we've got uh, a discussion around password managers. We got the, the vote out in the audience, and we heard back from folks on what they use and what they like. And uh, we're going to talk about password managers. And then, towards the end of the show, I want to talk a little bit about this client-side decoration brouhaha. Uh, now, it's not really a big deal right now, but you've probably noticed starting about GNOME 310, some GNOME applications have a brand new title bar that looks very, very fancy. Uh, and it is completely breaking some other desktops the way they look because sometimes you get the double title bar effect. We talked about this in, uh, in the Linux Action Show a little bit in the news segment when Cinnamon came out. Um, and the, the two camps essentially are the GTK folks and now, uh, uh, now the QT folks are coming out, and the KWIN developers are coming out and saying, hey, this maybe isn't such a good idea. I want to talk about what client-side decorations are, what they give us, and what the challenges are. And then I want to get the Mumble Room's take on uh, you know, what they prefer and uh, just kind of have a discussion about that because that seems to be something that's been brewing in the background over the last few weeks. And with GNOME 3.12 out now, that's, they've, they've pushed that even farther forward. So it's kind of an interesting time. There's a lot that's changing in that area. But before we get to all of that, it is tradition here on the Linux Unplugged show to talk a little bit about what you had to say from previous weeks. We have a continuing theme that runs through several episode threads. I think we're like covering three or four topics that have that is sort of winding three or four shows together. Plus, we're going to do some follow-up from the Linux Action Show. So the first one I wanted to kind of talk about was sort of a make good. Uh, I, I implied on uh, the Linux Action Show on Sunday that Ubuntu One was totally dead. And the reality is, is that the file syncing service is shutting down. I w- what. Um, and, uh, and the login authentication service is sticking around. And I, I knew that during the show, but I was trying to make the point that the messaging is out there now that Ubuntu One is shutting down. So when you're being asked to create an Ubuntu One account, if you've sort of loosely followed the news, it's confusing a little bit. You know, you might think, oh, Ubuntu One's down. I, I knew it wasn't down, but I was making a point. But yes, I did want to make it clear that Ubuntu One, the authentication service, is not going away. So uh, thank uh, you very much to James for writing that in. You'll still see Ubuntu one kicked around, at least for a little while. So Damon wrote in on the topic of switching to Linux, which is a, a, a thread we've been following for quite a while. Uh, he says, hi, I love the show. I found your discussion about what will make a computer user switch to Linux interesting. I have two anecdotes on this subject. First, my niece will be going to college later this year, and I wanted to give her one of my old laptops to use so that she wouldn't spend money that she didn't have on buying a Mac. I gave her a choice of Windows Vista, which came with a laptop, or Linux. She had no idea what Linux was, but she was emphatic that she did not want Windows. Hmm, that's interesting. The next step was for her to install. Being rooted in a Debian-based distribution, I started sending her screenshots from DistroWatch so that she could choose to see what she wanted. Ultimately, 
Imagine Linux one. Imagine Linux is a Debian-based XFCE distribution with Compass enabled. Being uh, that she's a graphic artist, I installed applications that suit that niche as well as applications for general use. Four months later, I'm still waiting to hear from her that she has had a problem with the laptop. Now, my second switcher story is quite simple. A woman that works in the same building as me found out that I am well-versed in Linux, and she asked me to help her get Wi-Fi working. It was simply a matter of showing her where the switch was, uh, but in talking to her, she was encouraged to install OpenSUSE 12.1 by a friend. Because she did not want to run a unsupported OS, which was Windows XP now, all she does is surf the web, check email, and this is perfect for her. Here are two stories of people that have switched and are happy. As an aside, my niece showed her friend's comp is and what it can do, so now I have to install Linux on his laptop, too. Take care, Damon. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Comp is still switching users after all these years. That's great. On, yeah. It's yeah. all about the cube. <laughs> you got to have the cube, Matt. All right, so this is Giant Daff. He writes in. He says, Heartbleed, this is what I see. A little follow-up on the Heartbleed discussion we've been having here. He says, uh, so happy Easter to Matt and Chris. So as we all know, this Heartbleed bug was detrimental to security. But it's also putting a slightly darker shade on the opinions of the consumer market. Now, I'm not and never will claim to be an expert in economics or politics. However, I can't help shake the notion that this issue will set back the opinion of Linux. Microsoft and Apple are both extremely well-funded, and this holds political ties to help from negative opinion I'll help form negative opinion around open source. They have been for years, and I have been ever so fortunate to have a very opinionated family. Cough, cough. My ears by even bleed instead. I would like to mention one thing, however. Companies can claim to have a little to no faulty code, but how can that claim? How can you claim such things without proper review among peers, a.k.a. a formal review of code? I claim that if proprietary code was submitted to a review, board sworn not to expose the code itself, you would see extremely different numbers as claimed before. With that, open source code is more likely to our best is more likely to out best proprietary coding any time. I'd like to hear your opinions on the matter of what you hear among less technical peers and what you would suggest to helping shift opinions. Matt, do you think the Heartbleed uh, vulnerability has caused a negative opinion about Linux and open source? I think it depends on who you know the situation and who you're asking. If you're af- you know if you're talking to the average person and you're explaining what's happening, they are not able to draw a line between yeah. the licensing of the different code and the software affected. They're only looking at the overall result. So they look at a service or a product and say, "Oh, well, that was affected. That's potentially scary." I don't think the average person is going to look at the uh, actual licensing differences. That being said, I think if you ask a more advanced user, maybe like a Windows fan or a Mac fan, someone that's really heavily involved in technology, yeah, I think that their views are already pretty much colored as it is. I don't think it really swaps anyone out. I don't think it changes any minds. Yeah, and um, I, you know, I, I have seen a surprising amount of mainstream coverage about Heartbleed. It's always been pretty bad, but like it was on the CBS Morning News recently. And I never saw, I never heard them say anything about Linux specifically. They, they did mention Android. You know, a lot of times we talk about how Linux doesn't get uh, full recognition. You know, you got to, it's Chrome OS, not Linux. It's Android, not Linux, right? Right. Um, but in this case, it sort of has played to Linux's benefit because people are talking about Android having vulnerabilities and Cisco gear having vulnerabilities. They're not necessarily saying Linux. Um, I, I think the, I think you could probably draw a closer, a closer comparison saying that open source has taken maybe a bit more of uh, a public image beating. But even then, I don't think it's that dramatic. And I think once once the dust settles, people realize that when you need peer-reviewed code, open source is really, literally your only option. 
Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just it's just a matter of logic. So I think those people that understand it, you know, understand the differences between the licensing and the types of code that's out there, they should understand that unless they have a vested interest in seeing something happen yeah. to uh, open source as a concept. Well, kind of uh, on this subject uh, today, officially Libre SSL was announced. Libre SSL is a free version of SSL TLS uh, that is a protocol that's been forked from OpenSSL. I think it's been it's uh, being worked on by the OpenBSD folks. Right now, it's only available for OpenBSD, but I'm sure as they get down the line here that will be become available to other platforms what's kind of funny matt is i'm i'm this guy i'm looking at this website i'm like wait a minute is the lib ssl site using comic sans like i mean <laughs> out of all choices why are they using and i'm getting all uppity about it right, right and at the very right. very very bottom of the website like way 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 down it says uh this page is scientifically designed to annoy web hits hipsters donate now to stop the comic sans <laughs> and blink tags Oh, that's brilliant. I mean, what a great fundraising idea. That is a seriously great idea for raising money because I feel compelled now to donate just to get the damn Comic Sans off their website. Uh, But the uh, open source community seems to be responding pretty positively to LibreSSL. Uh, A lot of people uh, consider uh, the OpenBSD camp to be some of the best folks in the business out there to do this, and they seem to be taking a pretty rational approach. So something we'll keep an eye on, and if it uh, comes to Linux, we'll update you guys. Right now, it's just for you OpenBSD heads, the place to be. SD. Watch well, an additional insight on this, too, is, you know, you look at uh, OpenOffice versus LibreOffice. LibreOffice is great. OpenOffice is kind of, you know, it's kind of yesterday's news. Maybe we'll see the same thing here. Yeah, yeah. That, no that rational is... argument to that, but well, I just no, I could see a transition good. happening. I, I could see that. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. All right. Well, I had a quick note I wanted to get to. We're making good time on the feedback this week. Uh, Ramey wrote into the subreddit. This is, I love getting these posts. He says, uh, DigitalOcean is the perfect use case for a huge 16-core, 48-gigabyte of RAM VM. Check this out. He says, I have a new router, which supports OpenWRT. It's a clone of the TP-Link 730N or 703N. Uh, it has a small USB, it's a small USB-powered uh, router with a 1-gigabit port and 802.11n. But uh, he was trying to uh, build a, spe- a, spe- a specific version of OpenWRT for this device, and on his own laptop, he says it takes about 4.5 hours to build the OpenWRT image. So he spawned himself up a DigitalOcean instance, and it only took 45 minutes. And his total cost was $1 for the entire process. Uh, and wow. this is something I, I wanted to thank him for writing in because, uh, you know, the other day we were testing some, some auto-publishing scripts. And uh, when, when it came time to... Uh, try out the FTP angle from multiple locations, the first thought I had was, like, you know what I could do? Is I could just take the DigitalOcean droplet that I have, spin it up in the San Francisco location, and then we'll have a real-world test case to bang on this. And it makes it so quick and simple. And because of DigitalOcean's flexible pricing, you can do hourly pricing. It makes testing these kinds of things a slam dunk. So let me tell you about DigitalOcean. They're one of our sponsors. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can get created, get a cloud server created in about 55 seconds. Our users, 47, 43, and 40 seconds. I'm waiting for a screenshot on the 40 seconds. And pricing plans start at only $5 per month for 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, and Amsterdam. Their interface is simple. They, their, con- their control panel could not be more intuitive. Uh, and power users can replicate that control panel on a much larger scale with their straightforward API. And they've just announced that they're rocking Ubuntu 14.04 droplets. So if you want to deploy the latest LTS release 
on a DigitalOcean droplet. They've, they're ready to go. They've got images that are set. And this is what I love. Is these guys are all in on the latest releases, on Docker, all this kind of stuff. And DigitalOcean is sort of the accumulation of all of the things we've talked about for so long. They, they, they saw trends in the industry, you know, SSDs. They got tier one bandwidth partners. They got amazing hardware. And they're utilizing KVM to offer a solution that, on, it, on its face, sort of almost seems obvious in retrospective, but the implementation of how they did it is really the differentiator. Their control panel is so great. They have managed to wrap a simple-to-use interface around a process that I used to be able to charge clients hundreds of dollars an hour for. It has completely transformed the amount of power that is available to just anyone, and you can get started for just $5 a month. And if you use our special promo code, Unplugged April, Unplugged April, We'll get you a $10 credit, and you can try out a DigitalOcean droplet for two months for absolutely free, or get the, or get the higher-end rig and just use it for free when you use Unplugged April. It's really impressive to see all of these awesome technologies that Linux has enabled and come together in a package that is so well done, so, so intuitive. I just really love it. So go over to DigitalOcean.com, spin up yourself a droplet, and see what you can do. There's all kinds of great uses. You can check out our Jupyter Colony Google Plus community for some ideas of what folks are doing with their DigitalOcean droplets. DigitalOcean.com, Unplugged April, will get you that $10 credit. And a really big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Unplugged and for getting Ubuntu 14.04 support so soon. I think that's going to be a great, great cloud operating system. Now, I wanted to follow up on a topic that we raised on the Linux Action Show a couple of weeks ago when we asked what folks use as their password manager because it's really gotten to the point now with after Heartbleed, it's no longer something you should do. It's something you have to do. I don't care if you're a Windows user or a Linux user. You need to have a different password for every online service you use. So we asked the audience, hey, what do you use? And we put it to a vote, and the results are in, Matt. Uh, 38% of folks who voted, and we got 784 votes, 38% of folks who voted use uh, LastPass. Close, probably not too surprising, KeyPass came in, come in at oh, 37%. Wow. So it's pretty much split between LastPass and KeyPass. Then the third choice is built-in Chrome and Firefox, and then goes to KWallet um, and a few others. So, yeah, the built-in the built browser ones are just, uh, I mean, I'd use KWallet over that. I mean, yeah, those are horrible. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to bring it to the mumble room, because I'm, I'm sort of um, an, a no-apologies uh, LastPass fan. I use LastPass for mm -hmm. years. So Mumble Room, anybody in here want to take um, the, the side of uh, KeyPass and try to convince me on why I should switch to KeyPass from LastPass? Proprietary garbage. All right. <laughs> I'm well, just kidding. Wow. Here's Actually, another thing about, the, about KeyPass really versus cool. LastPass. KeyPass stores everything locally. LastPass yeah. keeps it in, on somebody else's server. You have no idea where it is. Granted, it's encrypted, but who's going to stop somebody from breaking that encryption, right? Well, it's the not just the encryption it's, itself. It's not just the encryption. It's the fact that you're reliant on a third party. You True. you could um, at any time LastPass could shut down for whatever reason, and you know you've lost that service. You you may well actually find you don't even know your passwords for half a dozen or more sites. I started using LastPass when a site, a prominent site got hacked and my email address was published on Pastebin and I thought, oh, yeah, I better change that. <laughs> so I, I switched to LastPass and I've not looked back since. I pay them and I use the mobile version and I love it to bits. Right. But right. I, I can see an argument for not using them. I, but they, they have, uh, like, LastPass also has um, the, the, the pocket version where you can store everything locally if you want to. 
it just has you can then you can sync it every once in a while back and forth to the pocket to the the cloud so if you want to have the 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 local storage you can totally do that the the difference is like i like keypass but for me the 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 convenience of having it always synced to my phone and my computers yeah, and all that, that stuff critical to me that seems absolutely yeah. critical now well and there who, is a way to get that synced across multiple devices that's not an, it's not a practical way like if you look at like the, the keypass you could do like some kind of syncing service like you know B- bt sync or something but it wouldn't it, it would take so much effort that you can't also guarantee that it's going to work like you could even use sync me wireless to pr- transfer over your keypass stuff but you're still that's it still requires the phone to sync it not the computer and you it, it's just not a practical way to do it at all i disagree and the reason i disagree is that my uh music library is completely synced between my devices, my computer, my tablet, and my phone. Completely with BT Sync. So if according well, to that if, if your whole got, point is is to be like open and stuff, well BT Sync's not a solution either. Well and no, my point's not to be open. My point is to make it so that I'm not having to rely on a third party. And who needs all mm. that fancy software? All you need is just sticky notes. Come on, people. Well, there is it is the key pass is cool to use the like that if you can do the syncing stuff that's the main reason I don't use key pass is just the the convenience that the syncing with LastPass but also the newest version of LastPass in, introduced a, an awesome feature where you used to have to do these ad notifications to get your easily you know log into it an app but now you just open the app you have to start a service in the phone but you open the app. And then click the pass the username and password section, and it will give you like you can automatically fill it through the LastPass app, which is only available I think on Jelly Bean and KitKat, but it's mm. still awesome. Mm. So I've only just been using LastPass the last month, I've just discovered it, so it's actually not too big. I yeah, I mean to like me, it. LastPass seems like maybe the obvious choice then for pretty much uh, average users, but also people who don't want to have to worry about the sync component. The thing I like about LastPass is they have a good record of communicating very clearly about about matters. So, like, if they were to shut down, their history would seem to indicate to me that they're probably going to give you a heads up. So I have, you know, that I have that sort of comfort. It's not a guarantee, but I sort of have a comfort in that. But the other thing that strikes me about LastPass is, like, now on Android, you can, you can have LastPass autofill app passwords. So you can, you know, or on websites that you're just browsing in the regular Chrome web browser, LastPass can fill that stuff. And it can be passwords you set up on the desktop. And the nice thing is is that that syncing is just totally handled for you, and it's instantaneous. And the encryption's done on the client side, so the thing that they're syncing is just the encrypted password database. They're not syncing the individual passwords. Uh, it's, you know, I've used it for years now, and it's worked really well for me, but the, the one thing that it always does sort of ring in the back of my head is it's not open source. But I, without that syncing component, I come down to the practical nature of if I'm going to be trusting a service to store all of my passwords, it has to be almost omnipresent because I just use all kinds of different computers and devices all the time. Uh, so when when I uh, I worked uh, at a corporate about um, 10 years ago and there was a guy in the office that we all used to laugh at because he had a folded up um, three sheets of paper with all his passwords written on that he would keep in his in his <laughs> breast pocket in his shirt, and we all we all laughed at him. But yeah. you know, uh, Schneier has written years ago, back in two thousand and five. He says um, you know, that someone urged people to write down their passwords, and he says this is good advice, and he's been saying it for years. There's there's something to be said for actually sometimes you don't need to uh, 
um, go the technological route. Sometimes it is actually more sensible to just have a little notepad and maybe be a bit cryptic about which password you write on which page and which goes with which. But you, you know, you can, you don't have to have a cloud syncing third party system with, you know, triple des right. or, you know, yeah. some magical yeah. encryption. You Not can everybody. just write it down. Yeah, you could. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no way some random person on the internet is going to find out my password by it being written down in my pocket. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. No, I've got a good idea. Put it in your desk. Lock it in your desk. There you go. You don't have to show anybody your password. But so, writing a thousand passwords in my notepad would not be very, you know, easy to c- carry in my back pocket. I wanted to give. Yeah, you uh, don't write them all at once. I wanted to yeah. give them um, <laughs> one at a time. <laughs> VR Max is. I'm acting. I'm acting like a Windows user on this issue. So I wanted to hear his thoughts on that. Go ahead, VR Max. Uh, yeah. Just in short, uh, your your attitude about. Um, I just want it to work. Sounds a lot like what uh, what Windows used to say when I try to move them over to something like Linux. <laughs> well, I think it's a little bit different because it's sort of like um, the keys to the business, right? It's it's sort of it's one of these things where uh, if you if you really go all in on these crazy passwords that are really pretty much close to impossible to remember, uh, then you depend on something like LastPass literally to work, to do your job, to do your to do shopping, to do everything, and um, the idea that, that that I have some peace of mind knowing that if I sign up for a new service on my computer and, and then I, I go out on the road, I, in fact, this happened with a streaming TV service. I go out on the road and I decided, you know what, I want to try doing this in the app on my mobile device. It's really nice to know that even though I never initiated a manual sync because, you know, I didn't think about it, LastPass has already taken care of that for me and I can open up the LastPass database on my Nexus 5 and Bob's your uncle, I've got my password database there. I can copy it. I can paste it, and then it cleans up the clipboard for me, so that way that's not lingering around in the clipboard. It's it's pretty nice, and I, and I, the thing is, like I've always wanted to try KeePass, but how do you switch to something like a different password manager when you're all in like that? You know, there's hundreds of sites. Like it just doesn't seem like something you switch from very. That's why I give this. That's why I want to give this some serious discussion because it's like once you pick, you kind of need to stick with it for a long time unless you want to spend a weekend resetting up a bunch or of. Or if you're a masochist. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah. doesn't doesn't KeePass have um, a, some kind of like auto like tra- migration tool? It does from like Chrome, Google Chrome passwords and whatnot. Oh, big oh, the chat room okay. says you can export from LastPass yeah. into KeePass. Ooh, that's cool. That that would make it easier to test. Um, yeah. it certainly takes a lot of work out of it. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I and the thing is, is even with that there, like I don't know. Uh, so right now, LastPass sort of another thing I like about it is it just sort of comes with me because I'm back to using Chrome and oh. Chrome just Google syncs all of my plugins and so it just comes right back and it's every time I set up and log into Chrome on a new computer, LastPass is there. I don't have to install a separate application or anything like that. So there's like this this barrier to entry to get up and running with LastPass is pretty much it just requires I log into Chrome. Yeah, uh, yeah. you have to set up multiple programs. Like you have to set up your sync program too to make it. Yeah, all the passwords yeah. in. All right, Heaven's Revenge. Go ahead. Will you add an alternative password manager? It's not. Oh, hello. I have a solution which doesn't actually use a database. It's a solution in which generates the passwords on demand on the fly, which whichever cryptographic algorithm you actually desire and want most. So this way, you have a plausible deniability that you do not have a password for. Let's say this bad website here if anyone gets access to your database which you do store and keypass is a trust keypass system i trust no one i generate my passwords on the fly 
and you can choose whichever way you want to generate them yourself, which are, it doesn't actually require a database to keep track of any of your passwords. So that is an alternate. You can use any sort of, it's generally a hash algorithm, but you can also use HMAC hash algorithms as well. The one I use because I've used it quite often is a password maker application. It's got Android, iOS apps, has a Chrome and Firefox extension, and has a web page that you can actually just try it out. And you do not actually have to install anything. So you can see how the result looks. Now, so wasn't so you there... Generate it, you generate it when you need it? Yes, you generate it on the fly when you need it. And it doesn't even... It can save your master password thing in which generates your password based on the domain name, or it can be a lot more than the domain name. You can add many different features to what you want yeah, your generated I, I remember, password to be. I, I remember a study done that if you do more than the domain name, you're good. But if you use just the domain name, I, I can't remember how it worked, but there was some questions raised if it was totally safe. Oh, well, the reason why it's safe is that you can, or at least it's safe in my opinion, is that you can use algorithms which are in, cannot be reversed or have been almost impossible to reverse beyond two iterations. I use a RIP, RIP, RIPEMD slash dash 160. That's almost impossible to go backwards very far. You can, it's kind of like as if they integrated Kekik or SHA-3 as the hash algorithm. It's almost impossible to go backwards based on the domain name plus your password or your bump level, depending on whether you want to change your password for that site and domain or not. So here's what I'm, here's what I'm grokking from our password manager conversation. There's a lot of options, and people really don't have any excuse not to just use something. Just use something. I don't care what it is. Just use it. Dang it. Uh, there's so many leaks now. Like... Um, uh, there was uh, uh, Lissy, who makes a lot of external hard drives, just recently announced that, like, for the last two years, they were under monitoring, and they've now they've had like credit card and user information stolen from the past two years of their customers. Uh, the craft store that my wife just shops, that my, my wife shops at uh, when she goes to do like scrapbooking stuff, announced that they've had a credit card breach similar to the Target credit card breach. I mean, it's just it's nonstop. So go out there and get yourself a password manager. Do us a solid. Do it, do it for your buddies at Linux Unplugged. Just no longer it. use the word password for your password. Always good advice. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, very good, Matt. That's great advice, and it's probably a spot we should, we should stop and thank Ting, another sponsor of Linux Unplugged. What is, what is Ting? Ting is mobile that makes sense. My mobile service provider and Matt's mobile service provider. And what's so outrageously awesome about Ting is you only pay for what you use, and there is no contract. And no early termination fees. It's really awesome. You can get started by going to linux.ting.com to check them out. Linux.ting.com will take $25 off your first device. If you've already got a device you want to bring with you, they got a whole BYOD page, then go over there and just get a $25 credit for your first month or however long it'll last you. It might last you into your second month like it did me. And what's, here's, you know, I've talked a lot about Ting over the year. What I, I still am impressed by is what an awesome company they are. So today, uh, they posted that they gave this guy, uh, his name is Joe, $10,000 because he has just been an awesome advocate for Ting. See, Ting has uh, these this Ting ground crew program where you can actually become a Ting advocate yourself, much like I am, and you can get rewards. And uh, I don't know if I'll be able to find the spot in the video here, but let me see if I can. Um, how would you kind of rate your experience with Ting and what would you say? All right, hold on. There it is. I see it. Okay, so he's just sitting there. This is great. So they're going to post the video on their YouTube channel in full. But So they have this guy in at Ting, and he just thinks that, oh, I'm here today because I'm doing a job interview, right? 
So dude's right. hanging out, thinking he's going to get a job interview. He, they're ta- they're asking him a whole bunch of questions, and then uh, next thing you know, like they walk in, and are like, "Hey, you just won ten thousand dollars." So here's and if you're watching the video version, his reaction is so awesome. You have any questions, Andrew? I don't think that clap was. I didn't catch that clap probably. So can I just get you to clap really loudly? Perfect. Hmm. Hey, Joe. Um, might be a bit random, but all of us at Chain wanted to say thank you um, and give you this check for $10,000. Just for being awesome. Are you serious? Absolutely. <laughs> that is amazing. That's like publishing. <laughs> Yeah, what's funny is on their Instagram feed later on, they posted a video of them cleaning up from the confetti. So they gave they give Joe his ten thousand dollars for being an awesome team ground crew, and uh, he's just he just loves it. <laughs> and they did that on a Google Hangout too. So if you were watching live, oh you got God. to see that happen live. So I, you know, Tings just does a lot of awesome stuff, and and their ground crew is part of it. They're just a great company. They're they, they're just a bunch of great people over there, and they always are posting really good stuff over on their blog. So go over to linux.ting.com and then click on the Ting blog to see what I've been talking about. And remember, every Ting phone is just six dollars a month flat rate, and then just your usage and taxes on top of that. Every Ting plan includes tethering, hotspots. You know, you get your picture messaging, your text messaging, all the stuff you'd expect, plus their awesome dashboard, which makes it crazy easy to manage and see where you're at so you have full control over your cell service. This is a great place to go get a phone, linux.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Woo-hoo. All right. Uh, man, that guy, I mean, Ten how cool would that Can you imagine that? Yeah, you, you think getting you're $10, getting a job interview, yeah. right? <laughs> it's like, hey, you know what? You're awesome. We appreciate you You know, uh, getting the word out about this great service. And, hey, we're just going to show you a little bit of a thank you. That's amazing. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about this client-side diva, I mean client-side decorations thing that's going on right now. Uh, so um, I'm not totally, totally like Mr. Expert on this, but there's, there's two camps. Essentially, there's the camps that think client-side decorations on Windows, the things you'll see like on the new G-Edit and uh, the new files on GNOME, all of these with the new border where they've integrated the close and minimize buttons into the title bar, these are client-side decorations. Now, the thing is, these only really work very well on GNOME. You're on any other desktop, and they kind of look atrocious. Sometimes you have double title bars. The title bars are offset. It looks like amateur hour. So um, Martin took to his blog, KWIN Developer, he took to his blog with an open letter that he wrote uh, on his blog. He posted it to a mailing list, and he sent it to the developers. He said, I decided to CC this mailing list and publish this letter as an open letter on my blog. CSD, which is client-side decorations, is a topic that is very important for every user and nothing and nothing we should discuss in a, and nothing that should be discussed in a small group. Consisto Wicked, this is his biggest problem he has with it. He says, consistent window decorations. The fact, here is my greatest doubt, he goes on to say. The current situation is that all windows have the same window decoration. For CSD to work, applications have to be changed to support them. This will render the changed applications using CSD while other applications are decorated by the window manager. I think it is impossible to have the same behavior with both client-side decorations and window manager decorations. So, for example, uh, an application freezes up and you click the X button. With server-side decorations, the window manager notices that that application never closed and said, hey, would you like me to force quit? With client-side decorations, uh, the the, the title bar is part of the process, of part of the application process. So when the application hangs, the close button hangs, and you can't just quickly and easily close it anymore. Um, oh, okay. Th- yeah, there's other, there's other kind of little minor things that would bug users. Uh, he says, my biggest concern is that we'll end up with applications shipping their own style and doing their own kind of decorations. We'll end up in a situation like 
with that has one windows one window that has buttons on the left, one window that has buttons on the right, one or one with order close maximize minimize, the other in close minimize maximize, etc. Oh he says just look at Microsoft Windows desktop to see what proprietary applications tend to do when they get a chance to influence their own decorations. And that is a very good point. It is, and I, I think actually, you know, first I was going to think I was going to scoff at the idea, and that's kind of like, you know, the more the more I hear it, the more it's like, you know, actually it's a valid point. Yeah, and you see this in Chromium today. Chromium already has its own buttons, like right now on my uh, Ubuntu 14.04 desktop, I'm still running, you know, the buttons are on the wrong side of the window because they're using their own decorator. They're not taking advantage of the operating system's decorator. And I've heard, too, the client-side decorations were uh, meant to uh, improve support for Wayland and in the sense that... Uh, it takes less code from the back end and moves that code into GTK, and that's where you can manage it, and that's a little easier. However, uh, Martin disagrees that that's really a, 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 an important feature or a necessary feature. Where, we, where we're at now, and I, I want to bring in the mumble room on this, because where we're at is we have this mismatch right now. We're in this transitionary phase. It's been starting with GNOME 3.10. It, it's escalated with GNOME 3.12. It, it means that these GTK applications that are using client-side decorations uh, will look funky on all GNOME desktops. So, Mumble Room, question for you. Is anybody in here want to be an advocate for client-side decorations? Anybody think they're a great idea or like them? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right, I, I will think take these in this day. No. I, I will take that position then because I kind of do like them. From an end-user perspective, I think they look kind of nice. Uh, I like the functionality, especially with a, a theme that has the, the, uh, like the Numix theme where it takes very little room. Uh, I feel like it's very effective. I get my close buttons. I get a title bar all in one. It takes up less space. I think they're kind of nice looking. Uh, performance is better when you resize the window. It looks better. You don't necessarily have the tearing between the title bar and the application when you're moving it around. I think that's nice. I think it looks a little more elegant. So these are the things that client-side decorations bring us. I, I, I kind of have to agree with Chris on some of that. I believe that having the client-side de decorations makes the application seem a lot more cohesive. It allows that extra functionality in the title bar like you have with the GNOME shell application, or GNOME 3 applications, I should say. Or even look at Steam, for example. Right. Yeah. Right. You see, you have to look at that. You, uh, I think you have to look at the current state of client-side decorations, at least what we saw in the Cinnamon 2.2 uh, look. Uh, a, they're not very good. You know, they still have the minimize button yeah. thing. They still look very large. They still look very, very ugly themselves, with or without the uh, window manager decorations. So, they may be a good idea in the future when they're absolutely implemented, but at this point, they just get in, a they get in the way for uh, window manager decorations, and secondly, they already don't look as good. Yes, they add added functionality, but the uh, client side decorations themselves, I don't think, look as good or as functional as they should be. I have to agree with that. I can't yeah. stand a way to known uh, three GTK works. I cannot stand it like that. It's too blocky. I don't like. I, I generally I like. I can't stand that look. I generally like GNOME and prefer the technical superiority of server side decorations. There is one thing I can do is blame Popey because <laughs> this is all because of Canonical <laughs> and Unity ripping out the menu, the file menu, and putting it as a global menu, leaving um. the top. Are there, yeah, at least the menu's still there. I've never Generally, really used GNOME at all. I've never really used the um, the manager at all, to be honest. Since GNOME so GNOME. now GNOME kind of wreck or Jimmy wrecked something to make the window look good. So, while there, my file menu wasn't uh, there. Web Web Wizard uh, Wizard Jed over there says uh, uh, that what we are seeing today is not a fully 
done fully baked version of client side decorations. Enlighten me as to what you mean, sir. Muted. Oh, okay. Well, we should, if you're going to, yeah. My the the problem with it is is that essentially there's not going to be full client side only decorations. I don't think anyone has gone out and said purely client side decorations. You know, everything done in one process, everything one thread is perfect. The thing is, you can have more than one thread in a single application. Right. It's, it's, it's very simple. Right. So all you'd have to do is implement a listener to go and close. And so you have the problem with, oh, well, if the application freezes, the X button freezes, or if this freezes, or that. It's like a kind of moot point, because at the current time, in, in where we are right now, if the server itself freezes, we have the exact same problem. So, except now it affects everything. And you need to restart the actual server. Well, that, that doesn't happen as often, though. Okay. All right, so Wimpy wants to chime in with a perspective from us for using client-side decorations on other desktops. Go ahead, Wimpy. So, yeah, I was being a little facetious when I um, I yelled out no so vociferously earlier. I mean, client-side decorations are an intelligent design and ultimately a good idea. The way they stand at the moment, though, is that some of the way that they're rendered is sort of being forced upon other desktops. So... Not everyone subscribes to the design philosophies behind GNOME 3. Right. Um, and you could be trying to use GTK 3 just as a toolkit to develop an application. But some of these design choices from GNOME 3 are being, in some cases, forced upon you, in other cases, it, it, requiring you to make changes to your existing code in order to accommodate their design choices. And there are other projects out there that don't subscribe to the GNOME 3 um, sure. metaphors. Well, yeah. So there's the Mate desktop, there's XFCE, yeah. there's yeah. Cinnamon, there's LXDE. All of these projects use GTK, and all of them are now impacted by a decision that's been made by an upstream project. Well, I guess my question is similar to Ix. It, go, go ahead, ask, ask your question, because I think you're kind of echoing my thoughts, too. Yeah, um... Well, can't those who are implementing the client-side decorations make them make the code check for whatever desktop environment they're running before you know, yeah, and and then check. go ahead and use that yeah. in but only in GNOME three? That's my well, question. The the clues in the name it's client-side decorations, so it's nothing to do with the desktop. It's a GTK toolkit facility, um, and whilst there are. Uh, uh, a number of opportunities to override the uh, new title bar behavior. There is also the facility as an application designer to absolutely enforce and hard code a look and feel. And there are good examples for why you would want things this way. So if you look at um, the new version of Gedit that came out with um, GNOME 3.12, uh, that uses the um, split split title bar uh, arrangement and therefore it requires that the close button is is positioned in a different place so giving that power to the application designer to ensure that their application is displayed the way they intended is is a powerful feature but the knock-on effect of that is that other <laughs> other applications and desktop environments in the meanwhile whilst we adapt and update the theming um have, have sort of had some breakage so I want to give uh, Daredevil a chance to respond to you, and then we'll go to uh, WebWizardG or whatever he's going by this week. So go ahead, Daredevil. <laughs> All right. So my understanding of the – I've actually recently went to GTK folks and said, look, uh, I've been seeing more and more projects switching to Qt. 
uh, I'm trying to understand more deeply what are the root causes for these. And it pretty much boiled down to the fact that GDK folks have been developing these features and documenting the stuff um, and making it available. And not many people were actually interested in participating in the changes that before they're made. It's not like there was not a discussion about the changes. It just appears that people didn't join the conversation. And once the changes were accepted by those that were in the conversation, people are complaining. At that point, is already decided. The second part of that is that GTK actually, they, I, I think I actually gave, a, I put the link in the Reddit, um, but they've, they've actually made a video um, explaining more or less what's their approach and they want more to be platform than actually integrate and therefore some choices rely on that vision. Now on the project that selected GTK, I, I guess they need to engage more in the conversation and that should actually solve much of the problems we are finding. So do you think you feel, or do you feel like the GNOME project is sort of mandating a standard? Is that what you're saying? So what they've actually said, uh, said is a clear path. So for, for instance, they will prefer be platform than integrate. In their vision, for example, Europe, when you develop an application, they don't think about the application should look exactly like a Windows application on Windows. They think it should look exactly like you developed to be looking like initially. They will make a Linux first class citizen and the rest they want to allow you to write to those, but it's not like if something is going to be added to GTK, uh, it's not going to be like not, not enter the GTK because it doesn't work exactly on Windows. Uh, they are working around those to allow the application to execute the, there, but they want to be platform first. If that's their vision, I guess it's understandable that they want to kind of create a way of, okay, to, to do things, and they are inviting people to engage in the conversation. If they don't, I guess it's going to be the way they defined. Well, and I, I, uh, I wanted to give... Uh, um some time for more response, but I, I want to also sort of shift the conversation here a second. But Wizard Jed, did you want? Did you have any final thoughts you wanted to get on that? Yeah, just uh, to kind of to respond to Daredevil's thing and to go on what I was trying to say as well is that you know it's kind it is happening. The problem is is that it's happening in kind of different camp. So yes, I'll admit that that is going definitely going on in the GNOME camp, and they are discussing how to do client side decoration. The problem is the QT guys are also discussing this, and they're discussing it in their own way. And at the end of the day, there's two totally different ways that when they're going about doing it. Yeah. Gnome, Gnome guys are trying to push it out, get it out now, so we can see how it's working, get it done. QT guys want to have a fully set out standard, then push it. Well, the problem is that they're conflicting oh. in that way. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> something's going on in the background over there. Uh, I think too, like I have to wonder if maybe this kind of this approach, which seems to be upsetting some folks, and also creating inconsistencies across other desktops. And GNOME isn't like it's in some sort of powerhouse position. And you can well, see maybe why they want to have a GNOME, GNOME OS, right? Is this going to drive people away from using GTK? What do you think? Uh, right? already... Go ahead, Matt. What do you think? Do you think more people are going to say, you know what, I'm just, if GTK wants to push forward with this kind of stuff, if I don't, if they're not on board, if there's somebody that's not on board with the vision, don't you think it's going to be more likely they're not going to choose GTK for their future project? I think you're going to have some overflow. I think at I think at the end of the day, you're going to have some initial people. Well, a little bit like what we saw with Unity and various things that uh, the Ubuntu team has uh, run into. I, I think initially you're going to get some blowback, but I think in the long term it might actually pay off. Hmm. Um, it's gutsy. 
It's edgy, and it might blow up in their face, but yeah. I think there's a possibility that it might pay off. Hold on. Now. This is way bigger than what Unity was doing in uh, Boot. That was a, it was a soft was example, in, though. Yeah. Very soft. Uh, I'm well, not comparing comparables. So let's go to Daredevil, and he says that there's already a few things that client-side decorations have already brought us. What are those? Oh, not exactly client-side decorations, but the fact that, like, the changes. Just GNOME 2 to GNOME 3 as an example. They broke the API, yes. Um, initially, people were saying, oh, what the hell is going on with GNOME folks? Mm-hmm. This is unbearable. And uh, suddenly, we're seeing more projects that were using GTK 2 uh, moving to GTK 3. That's a, I would consider that as a positive thing. Initially, people ditched the GTK 3, and now the projects are moving. Now, the, the, the benefits I'm talking about is like, for example, the shell. Cinnamon came out. It's not exactly the same shell of, of this GNOME shell, but their idea uh, when they built GNOME shell was to allow, um, to allow actual extensibility to be done on the shell or to build up on top of that shell and still be compatible and to be the base technology. And it's happening. And I see that they are being like looked um, on the side a little bit, and projects are reluctant to change, and it is a burden to maintain something that is drifting. But once it's documented, it doesn't drift as much. Right, right. So I guess people are poking on the API using the nice features that appear on the undocumented API, and then say, oh, well, it missed. Uh, it disappeared from the API. Well, it wasn't document, documented. Yeah. And it's not like they're breaking something. It's not set as, okay, we, we already released this. All right. So, right. Wimpy, I want to give you a chance to wrap us up on this topic. Uh, what are your closing thoughts? Uh, well, I was just going to reply on the um, migrating to GTK and, and also acknowledge that Daredevil is quite correct. This This debate has been rolling for about four years now, and there's been some dialogue about client-side decorations going back to 2010. Mm-hmm. But with with regards to migrating to GTK3, I, I spoke to you a few months ago about the Mate desktop and how we were uh, migrating to GTK3, mm-hmm. and the next release was going to be based on GTK3. Mm-hmm. And then a few weeks later, we, we pumped out uh, Mate 1.8, and we didn't um, uh, complete the, the, the port to GTK3. And that's because GTK3 is, is evolving rapidly. And every time we rebuild against it, we find something new, something different that we have to accommodate for. Ah. So what we're doing is we're on a slow burn now. And I imagine other application developers who've got small teams are probably approaching this in a similar way, which is gently, gently catchy monkey, slowly port your code to GTK3, (laughs) dual support GTK2 and GTK3, and only release on GTK3 when you're absolutely certain uh, all of the uh, shifting sand beneath you has, has stopped moving. Mm. So it, it, it isn't a, an easy thing to target at the moment. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I appreciate the insight on that. All right. Well, so this is, there we go. We have now, we have logged in the journal that is Linux Unplugged, our first discussion uh, around this topic. And I think we'll follow it as it goes on. We'll gauge what the audience's interest is and see if there's a further discussion to be had. Um, I, I know that I find it to be particularly interesting because the user side of me kind of likes them, uh, but the technical side of me don't definitely sees what the problems are and thinks that perhaps that should be handled by the server, especially when you have cross-operating systems and cross-desktop environments to consider. But I'm worth, I think it's worth seeing how it plays out, and I'm curious to see where the GNOME camp's going because I'm, as a GNOME desktop user, liking it a lot so far. 
But uh, Martin did have a really, really good blog post, very long, um, and uh, very pro KWIN, as you might expect. <laughs> His Basically, Martin's solution is just use KWIN for everything. Uh, but we do have that linked in the show notes, and I, I recommend you give it a read. Also linked in the show notes for this week's episode uh, are the reasons from the Gnome Camp. You know, they state uh, on their on their wiki, for example, that under Wayland, uh, it's just simply preferred that clients render their own Windows decora- window decorations. Since Gnome Shell will need to keep support for decorating X clients, it would be good if GTK Plus and Gnome Shell could use the same CSS theming. Uh, and then they also talk a little bit about performance. But again, it's all kind of rough stuff. Like, I haven't seen any hard analysis, but there you go. It's, it's all linked in the show notes if you guys want to do some further reading uh, right there. Now, Linux Unplugged is live on Tuesdays over jblive.tv. We start at 2 p.m. Pacific. And this weekend, coming up on Saturday and Sunday, if all goes as planned, we should be streaming live from Linux Fest Northwest Saturday and Sunday. So just check jblive.tv throughout the weekend and see what shenanigans we're up to over at the fest. Matt, are you excited? Are you ready? Are you pumped? I'm, I'm excited and nervous about the whole ill thing. So yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I've got, I've got a water next to me. I've got a box of Kleenexes. I'm like totally like, I'm, I'm trying to eat good today. Yeah. I'll definitely, I, I'm more in the uh, sanitize everything down, wiping down counters, you know, just start like just really yeah. trying. And then, of course, the, the body stuff too. We'll see how it goes though. Get ahead of it. Get ahead of it, Matt. Yeah, Get ahead of it. It, it snuck up on me. I didn't even know until I got home last night from the studio and I was like, wait a minute, I'm not feeling very good. Oh, no. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely get ahead of that. And then last night, I didn't get much sleep. So, you know what? Yeah. The two things, like, it's not, it's, it's not a winning combo, Matt. It's not a winning oh. combo. Uh, now, we'd love to get your feedback. This show runs on your feedback, so go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click that contact link, and choose Linux Unplugged from the dropdown. And don't forget about our awesome subreddit, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. And be sure to tune in on Sunday for the Linux Action Show. We'll be doing last live from Linux Fest Northwest, and we should have a good recap. So even if you aren't able to catch all the live coverage, we'll, we should have a good roundup in the Sunday's Linux Action Show. All right, Matt, I'll see you on Sunday, okay? See you Sunday. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. See you right back. Tuesday. Bye-bye.